0: Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender.
1: United Nations sharing and uh, about liver transplants and uh, uh, some people dying, waiting and how they're going to uh, revamp the whole system. Uh, We've heard a lot of talk about that, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next uh, uh, couple of days and weeks in terms of, uh, I don't know how many of you read the uh, articles, but uh, there's been a lot of talk about people uh, who live not in New York or California, but right in the middle of the country, like Kansas and Midwest who uh, are dying on the waiting list. Of course, uh, 17 people die every day because of the shortage of donors, uh, but especially uh, people who need liver and heart transplants. Because for kidney transplants, you at least have dialysis, but for the liver and heart, uh, of course, for the heart, you do have the artificial heart. But for the lungs and the um, liver, uh, we don't really have a good substitute. So uh, many people blame the uh, the lack of of receiving organs on the uh, system. The real issue is the shortage of donors. But uh, we are uh, failing at that. Uh, uh, we now are saying it's the system that's the problem. So it's going to be interesting to see how the politics and everything else uh, uh, enters into the way of solving this problem, when in point of fact, the real problem is the shortage of donors. And it's going to take uh, xenotransplantation and stem stem cell transplantation to really help us solve the real problem, which is uh, the shortage of uh, donors. Any uh, thoughts or ideas about this? Uh, Is this all political or or what are your thoughts? Or uh, do you have any?
2: Dr. Callender, I remember back in the day when Sonny Jurgensen had two different transplants and he never stopped drinking. And it was- Oh, it was Mickey, I thought it was Sonny
1: Jergensen. The football player. Oh, football player. Well, I know Mickey Mantle was the uh, baseball player who got a liver transplant and uh, yeah. but I don't know about Sonny Jensen.
2: I think Sonny went through two two different two different organs.
1: Yeah, okay.
3: Well, We would have thought it would have been Billy Kelmer.
1: Uh. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so nobody has a comment. So John, I guess we're going to start showing me here. Uh,
4: yeah, one comment I was going to make was that if they do partial liver, um, that would seem... Uh,
1: they, they have been doing partial livers.
4: Yeah, and so that would t- tell me that um, it's not so political. It's not what? It's not so political.
1: Uh, well, there's they've been doing partial liver transplants for at least the last... Ten years, but how I, I does learned,
5: it how does it become political?
1: Well, it becomes political in the sense that uh, uh, the people who complain the loudest and make the most noise get the system changed, uh, and uh, uh, we focus not so much on. Uh, the real problem, which is the shortage of donors, but on this system that's trying to match uh, donors with recipients. And so, uh, uh, so I consider some of it as being uh, well-meant. I think it's all well-meant, but I think a lot of it is political. I don't know who's behind it or why, but anyway, the system, the, the issue is uh, the people who are in the Midwest who are not getting the organs and people in place like New York and California who are getting the organs. And so the question is, uh, is it really the system or is it really the shortage of donors? Okay. In
5: the Midwest, it's- is it because they have lack of hospitals or facilities and where the larger metropolitan... Places are
1: they have more facilities? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's what that's part of the problem. Like in Kansas, there's only one uh, liver transplant center. And uh, so, and, and it's harder for the patients in Kansas who are in the rural area to actually get to where the hospital is. So, so it's, it becomes a, a situation that uh, involves many things. Not just one thing, but the but the over, overriding issue uh, that is, is not so much the system, as it is the shortage of donors, which is the the real problem.
6: What's the process for a partial liver transplant?
1: Well, that's that, Well, that, what happens, for example, uh, uh, a mother can give a part of her liver to her daughter or son. Uh, or when you die and your liver is used, you can divide it into two and give two people the livers rather than one. So that's the uh, system that they're using now. Uh, for example, we have a video that we're working on now that's coming out that uh, talks about this uh, young lady who's now actually a college student who got a transplant from her mother, who gave part of her liver to her uh, that resulted in her life being saved. And so partial liver transplant is something that has uh, uh, revolutionized transplantation in the sense that uh, out of uh, one person who dies, you can get two livers, or a person who's a live donor can give part of their liver to somebody else. Um. Dr. Calendar, I was
3: wondering uh what happens to the donor and the recipient uh with the space involved, because if you give a partial, you have a gap in your body. And well, your, if the liver fever... grows.
1: The liver grows and fills the space. Wow. Yeah. Never knew that. Yeah, the liver is uh, the only organ that we know of that it is regenerates itself. Whoa and it doesn't take that long for it to grow right uh, about uh 6 months okay. uh, wow
5: amazing. um back to the area hospitals how many hospitals in this area long to transplants
1: do it depends what you're talking about kidneys or livers because uh this is about george washington uh Walter Reed, uh virginia uh, Georgetown are, uh, do transplants. Uh, George Washington does uh, pancreas, liver and kidney. Uh, Georgetown does uh, pancreas liver kidney. Uh, uh, Walter Reed does uh, liver and kidney, and uh, Fairfax does uh, liver and kidney, I believe. So those are ones lo- locally. Then you have Hopkins. That's not local. That's, uh, <laughs> that's enough for me. I know, <laughs> but, but it's not local. That's all. Yeah, Hopkins, of course, and Maryland. But those uh, that's both of them.
2: Dr. Callender, I didn't realize how lucky we were in this area until I started traveling, and I found out how far away people are from doctors and hospitals and i i have a friend that lives in the south and they were all getting excited and happy that they were going to have a hospital that was 40 miles away (laughs) before then the only hospital they had was 75 miles away
1: yeah yeah and and the rural situation is and, and and that's part of what this uh Situation is about relative to the uh, liver transplant. It's the the rural areas victimized over the urban areas, uh, and that that that's part of a major part of the problem as well.
5: Um, is this area the most densely populated as far as hospitals, or which area has the most hospitals?
1: I would think New York does, but. Uh, Oh,
3: okay. Dr. Calendar, we we have a new uh visitor, Pam Rodinger.
1: Uh we're invited as well to come. Wonderful. Is she gonna tell us something about herself? Yes, she is. Hi Pam. Hi Pam. Welcome. <laughs> thank, thank you for joining for, us this morning.
7: Thank you for inviting me, Sean. Um sorry,
3: Yeah, Pam, your sound is breaking up real bad. No, you might have to turn your video off. Try it. Try it now. It's still breaking up. Maybe you could just listen today.
7: (laughs) There's a log in and out of different device.
1: Okay. Well, we're thrilled to have you join us today. Okay, I guess we can start our our first graphic. This is an interesting uh, article about the fact that uh, because partially because of uh, uh, COVID and partially because of the other uh, big elephant that's with us, which is uh, uh, the opioid crisis, life expectancy has dropped as you can see by this that uh we hit our high for us which is uh 79 and but now we dropped down to 76 in
3: 2021
1: and uh, uh it's uh it's thought to be related to. you know it's interesting because uh, heart disease is remaining the same cancers going down some but COVID and Opioid overdose remain uh, uh, the big problem. Heart disease still is number one, Kansas two, and then COVID. Uh, but uh, uh, most of the decline in life expectancy is related to those three. Overdose, a third of all deaths from accidents was opioids. So that's a real crisis that uh, we have not yet learned how to deal with. Uh, uh, so as a consequence our uh, people are dying younger than ever before and uh, of course we didn't have the highest longevity anyway and of course we had a, more than a million people die from uh, COVID uh, in the last three years so, so that didn't help us at all but uh Uh, The fact is that our life expectancy is uh, dropping. And so the question is, what can we do uh, to, uh, of course, opioid crisis is not changing. The rate is still going up. Uh, Liver disease uh, uh, still remains one of the top causes. Uh, And as we know that, The uh, hepatitis C, uh, certainly that helped, but uh, uh, people are still drinking a lot more alcohol and and alcoholic cirrhosis is still one of the top killers of uh, causes of
6: liver failure and the need for transplant. And it's really scary. Every day in the news, we hear about uh, drug overdoses of teens. It's in the schools. Um, yeah, and and under teens. Yeah, and yeah. younger and younger.
1: Yeah, scary. It is scary. But what, uh, what
2: about gunshot gun gun violence?
1: Gun violence is is still mm. uh, there. It's just that the others have overtaken it. Mm. Overdose, uh, as, as you see here, is one third of all the deaths. Wow, it's, it's quintuplet. It's five times what it was before. So uh, uh, then violence remains a problem, but it's not the same magnitude as uh, opioid uh, and COVID. Oh. Access to naloxone is, uh, is something that uh, has uh, been introduced. So anybody can get it. All you have to do is go to the pharmacy and ask for it. But
4: uh, not if you've overdosed. Sorry? Not if you've overdosed, can you walk into CVS and get some?
1: Too late. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, the expectation is that those of us who are OK will find somebody who is not OK and uh, get them to breathe in the naloxone and uh, get them to wake up. Heart disease is still there. High blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, and uh, NASH, non-alco- uh, uh, non-alcoholic uh, uh, fatty disease, fatty liver disease is still uh, a problem. Uh, and then, of course, diabetes uh, uh, is, remains an issue. High blood pressure, high cholesterol. Uh, With COVID, of course, the uh, misinformation has been a problem. Uh, Hopefully, we have now overcome that. Uh, uh, It's gone from pandemic to endemic. uh, And uh, we have vaccines. Uh, So uh, this is now a reason why people aren't wearing masks anymore. And when I, say, when I say people aren't, because some places still uh, you have you wear masks. When you go to the basketball games, there's nobody. Only people who wear masks are the ushers and people like me. Uh, me too. <laughs> and three. Cancer remains prevalent, although uh, the uh, prostate cancer and colon cancer and breast cancer are at the top. Uh But the death rate from cancers have decreased, but screenings have dropped off because of the pandemic. And so Mm -hmm. trying to get people to get the mammograms and uh, lung cancer screening and prostate screenings become harder to to come by. Uh, But I think uh, what we have to do is a a real information blast reminding people to to get their uh, mammograms and call out Uh, because uh, we want to change that downward trend of of life expectancy. I think many of us are still going to doctors, but there are a lot of people that uh, have put aside their uh, going to doctors because of the pandemic any other comments or any other thoughts about anything else we can do okay
4: um uh, dr calendar uh, my sister uh had a visiting doctor and I thought that had gone out of style, but he, uh, he came to see her, but he doesn't have privileges at any
1: hospital. That's weird. Yeah, well, remember the day when doctors visiting houses was common? Now yeah. it's a rarity. There's, There's a-,
2: a program at Washington Hospital Center that I had my parents in, and mm-hmm. it was a, a, a the geriatric practice, and they come to your home. And they were on that in that care from uh, 2008 all the way to 2018 when my mother passed.
1: That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's
4: good because they're at least coming from a hospital, which means yeah. they mostly have privileges at the hospital. Right,
2: been- right.
4: You can take them back. The one that Joyce had, <laughs> uh, he could just visit and then try to refer her to somebody, but it wasn't, he didn't have any privileges anywhere at any hospital.
1: That's unfortunate, yeah. know, because uh, if you don't have a primary care doctor, then they just take care of you and dump you, cool. uh, and, and follow-up is one of the most important parts of Right okay let's go to the next one uh, and this is an interesting uh, article that talks about uh, the importance of balancing and we have mentioned ways to uh, decrease uh, premature death and uh, this is an article that talks about the fact that uh, if you pass the balance test you're less likely to uh, die young uh, and they they found that uh, if you stand there counter to balance on your left leg stand away for 10 seconds then your likelihood that means you have better balance and risk of dying is is less uh, of course this is all about uh, being having you know having strength being able to stand up and being able to uh, stand on one foot which is not as easy as you might think unless you try to do it. Uh, what this does is reduce the, the likelihood of falling and uh, you having accidents. Uh, and it also uh, suggests that you have the muscular strength to uh, get around. And so this uh, article points out that uh, uh, if you can stand for on one leg for 10 seconds, that uh, your risk of, of dying is uh, decreased. Time, my my
3: yoga instructor uh, has us balance on each leg for 20 seconds. And uh, we do the, the crane pose, like from uh, uh, Karate Kid. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> that's... Uh, that that can be challenging i mean you know you, you could just lift your other leg up a little bit or you can put it up so your your thigh is horizontal uh but it's it's one of the, the things that we do and i think uh, pam is also uh like a, a big yoga person so and you know, she would know about that too
1: thanks mm-hmm. okay any other am
7: i doing better can you guys see me since i switched devices
1: yes Oh, good. Can hear you much better. Okay, uh, I I just thought this was something that was good. Here's another one: <laughs> gardening can save your life. You know, we were talking about people shopping, and uh, here's another thing: gardening. Uh, it's interesting how they are healthier, they exercise more, eat more fruits and vegetables, and uh, uh, they are, are likely to live longer. So gardening is, is something else you may do that uh, is very stress-free and uh, is good for your health. Uh, I don't know how many of you garden, but yeah. Uh, I'm not a gardener. Any of you gardeners? I got a cut I just grow kale. You do, okay. Yes.
2: Cool.
6: Yes, I do.
1: Okay, all right. Well, it's a, it's a good uh, good pastime uh, just like shopping and like, this is even more so. Okay I, I thought that was a nice little article that talks about the simple things <laughs> that you can do. To get your blood pressure under control. Cardiovascular disease still is the number one killer of all. And uh, hypertension and diabetes are the biggest villains along those lines. And uh, uh, I think what they mentioned as number one to me is one of the most important and simple things to do. And that is to have your own blood pressure apparatus at home and take your blood pressure once or twice a day. And and uh, after a while, maybe once or twice a week. Uh, but, uh, uh, and the most, the best blood pressure is the pressure that you take at home. Uh, we're talking about white coat hypertension. hypertension. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, really taking your pressure at home and recording it and taking that to the doctors is just as good, even better than getting your blood pressure taken at the doctor's office. Then of course, uh, make appropriate lifestyle changes, and t- talking about uh, reducing the sugar and salt that you take in and uh, 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 eating less meat, if you eat meat at all, eating more fruits and vegetables, uh, less fried foods, those kinds of things. Uh, that's a, Healthy lifestyle, healthy food when you can, uh, uh, and then of course we're talking about that at Norsen maybe, avoiding unhealthy alcohol use, and any alcohol uses. Uh, of course, we know that uh, one or two drinks a day is good for the for the uh, digestive system and for the heart, uh, and then. Uh, One of the the things that we found in our screening process is that most of the patients whose blood pressure is high are already on blood pressure medicines, but they don't take them. So the fact that you're on blood pressure medication does not count. It only counts if your blood pressure is normalized. And in order to know that, you need to take your blood pressure at home and make sure. Now, what blood pressure is desirable, there's a lot of debate and discussion about that, but uh, I think uh, as long as you're around 130 or, or lower, I think you're in good shape. Uh, then uh, your salt consumption, uh, uh, we know that salt and salt is particularly bad for people of color, uh, but it uh, has its issues. But there are some people who, who actually need salt. They, they uh, uh if, if they don't take enough salt they their pressure drops so but for most of us uh we we have to watch our salt intake and then of course uh, number seven for them is be mindful of your cholesterol <laughs> there's certain things you should know about yourself you should know your cholesterol level you should know your blood sugar level you should know your blood pressure uh, those are things that you should know uh, and of course, uh, high cholesterol and high blood pressure run together. And the two of them uh, are, are good reasons for somebody to die early. Uh, so so it's, it's uh, uh, important to know your blood pressure, know your cholesterol, know your blood sugar. Any comments or questions about those simple steps that you can take to keep your blood pressure under control and actually to to live longer.
3: Uh, Dr. Calder, is it possible to like do the lifestyle changes and be able to come off of blood pressure medication?
1: It's possible, uh, but yes, it is. Um, But you just need to monitor yourself and be sure. Because many people, many people, after they get off the uh, blood pressure medicine, they start taking their blood pressures. Uh, Pam, you had a question?
7: Can you speak a little bit about the difference between HDL and LDL with the numbers being elevated for? um...
1: Yes, the, the LDL is considered to be the bad cholesterol. And you like to have a a level of uh, LDL of a hundred or lower. Uh, although uh, uh, some people will argue that uh, uh, the 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 cholesterol the overall cholesterol level should be less than two hundred, but the LDL in particular, you'd like to be around a hundred. Uh, so that's considered the bad cholesterol, the LDL. The HDL is Thought to be the good cholesterol, and you'd like to have that around 40 uh, and above, uh, because that's the cholesterol that uh, uh, dissolves bad cholesterol and keeps the blood vessels open. Mm. Uh, so, and you'd like to have that above 40. Uh, so, uh, as you get your uh, cholesterol levels, the, the the overall cholesterol level of less than 200 is desirable but the LDL uh, at 100 or less is most desirable and the HDL above 40 is most desirable. Thank you. Okay. And Dr. Callender, my um, primary
3: physician has marked on my um, uh, visit report that I have, um, is it arthrosclerosis? Um, And that's a reason for having blood pressure medication. I think is it. Am I saying that right? Is it atherosclerosis? Arteriosclerosis,
1: yeah. Atherosclerosis or arteriosclerosis. Uh, But uh, usually, uh, your blood pressure is. What is your blood pressure?
3: Uh, That's a good question. I think it's like one. Last time it was one forty over seventy,
1: something like that. Okay, all right, yeah, because that's uh, considered these days one forty is is thought to be high. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and uh, but uh, uh, the question is, what is the cause? Is the high blood pressure the cause of the arteriosclerosis, or the arteriosclerosis the cause of the high blood pressure? Hmm. That's but, right. but uh, uh the the goal is to have your blood pressure in the in the realm of one thirty or lower. Oh in that vicinity. Uh and nowadays one forty is considered hypertension. And so the goal is to keep your blood pressure lower than one hundred forty. Any other comments or questions about that, because I think uh, the the goal is to really no, keep the blood pressure normalized because the data suggests that uh, uh, that is the best way to uh, control arteriosclerosis and hardening of the arteries. Uh, and uh, and if your blood pressure is normalized, this is uh, uh, very good for you, uh,
4: Doctor Kalter, I can uh, attest to uh, reducing. Your salt to lower your blood pressure. I tried it and it worked. And Doing what? I uh, start eating less salt, less salt. Oh. And uh, it helps lower my blood pressure. And so now when I go out to eat, when I'm eating food, I can automatically taste. Uh, you know the salt content. You know whether it's too much or whether it's just a little bit or whatever. But I try to avoid
1: all of salt. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Anywhere. Good. Good idea. Good. Good for you.
0: Yeah. John, uh, major s- Go ahead. Major source of sodium is bread. Um Bread is loaded with salt and also. Increases blood sugar levels, which uh, puts stress on your blood pressure, and so avoiding uh, bread can really help your weight control and um, you know keep your sodium down. So you know, I w- I would recommend uh, avoiding bread whenever you can. Mm, okay, Doctor hey,
1: Callen, you know, is there a particular time and day that your blood pressure Uh, rises or goes down and once well it it is thought that uh, um, the uh, diurnal variations uh, are that uh, at night uh, your blood pressure uh, may be the lowest and then uh, midday may be the highest okay theoretically as you sleep uh, uh, the blood pressure Should go down but of course we know that some people when they sleep the blood pressure is does not go down and therefore uh that's why uh taking blood pressure medicine at night uh, is a good idea because for some people uh the normal uh diurnal variation does not occur and uh, when they sleep their blood pressure is still high okay thank you okay uh next oh <laughs> well, we got second lab grown chicken now now we got meat How do you- being grown uh, out of the laboratory what what next but anyway these uh now what is the advantage of these cultivated meats uh I think uh, uh Dallas has made it clear that the Processing of the meat is one of the biggest problems uh, with the meat that we have. Uh, and so, that this meat grown uh, from culture, uh, which has not yet been evaluated, uh, may, may be saved because of that, uh, but uh, remains to be seen. Uh, but uh, because the processing of the meat is one of the biggest problems with the meat. Uh, and the And the way the uh, uh, meats, the way that the animals are fed and the the given antibiotics and other things that uh, are not good for us. So so this is the reason why uh, you have this cultivated meat uh, quest uh, to do away with the ultra, uh, ultra processing, which is the main obstacle and the main reason why, uh, it is associated with uh, cancer and other uh, unhealthy uh, consequences. So time will tell as we look at, uh, as we get more of this done and as we study it more to find out whether this will make uh, eating uh, meat safer.
3: Well, you know, that you just you, you said that with the processed meat, you won't have all those antibiotics and all those extra added uh, possibilities uh, to it. And the bottom line here, you uh, uh, save a lot of uh, methane <laughs> that gets uh, uh, you know put into the atmosphere
1: from from animals. Yeah, of course. The question is, when you have new products. What else are they bringing to the table? And of course, that will take time to find out. But it at least will address the ultra processing issue uh, and as well as the antibiotic issue.
5: I have a question. Um, John Buchanan, you underlined it could cut down on the 14.5%. What's wrong with gas emissions?
3: It uh, warms the environment. Right. Uh,
1: Global warming. Yeah, and it looks like the the uh, ceiling is uh, correcting itself, but uh, it is believed that these emissions are what uh, is is knocking out our protective uh, our protection from outside of the uh, Earth. That okay. is causing the global warming that uh, John is talking about.
5: Okay. Maybe I don't understand it, but from beginning of time, haven't we always had livestock with gas emissions? Or maybe I'm not understanding what this
1: is. Oh, I I think that uh, uh, we, pro- we may have, uh, but it's getting worse. And it's impacting uh, the uh, lining of the Earth. And so this is the hope that this will uh, But to answer your question, yes, we've always had that. But that doesn't mean that we can't do what we can to change it. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's a matter of numbers. Uh, Currently, there's 8 billion people on Earth. A hundred years ago, in 1923, there were 2 billion people on Earth. So we have four times the number of people with four times the number of livestock to feed them. And so... Uh, you have tremendously more greenhouse gas emissions now than we did 100 years ago. So there's no comparison to the beginning of time.
5: Okay, thank you.
0: Okay,
1: next slide, please. Uh, Yeah, this is something that uh, uh, we are aware of in hospitals. Uh, And uh, there's so many uh, medications, antibiotics, and other medication that have become in short supply that uh, uh, healthcare providers have to substitute many times when they shouldn't have to, and this then is becoming one of the major reasons for uh, uh, accidents. Uh, as you know, it is thought that uh, healthcare. Uh, accidents are second cause of death in the in, uh, United States. And so uh, this drug sugar shortage is not uh, good. Uh, but this is a problem that uh, people in the hospital are more aware of than people outside of the hospital. And these drug shortages uh, particularly involve antibiotics, but they involve other issues uh and other uh key medications that control the blood pressure and other things as well as uh antibiotics and uh uh, there's a litany of ways in which this is problematic uh, in terms of uh causing you have to stay in the hospital for longer periods of time uh, uh, also because uh, uh of course, medication errors, which is an enormous problem. Uh, how can we overcome this? And it's a good question. Uh, some people blame this on the uh, federal government's lack of oversight. Uh, I'm not sure who to blame for it, uh, but it is a reality. It's something that... Uh, needs to be dealt with over time. Dr. Callender, is it uh this drug propofol
3: is that uh what caused uh, Michael Jackson's death?
1: Anybody know. Oh, no, fentanyl. No, oh, Michael, Jackson. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Yes, yes, yes. That's the drug. Yeah, that's the yeah. That's the anesthetic, but I mean it, it it's it's I, I don't think it's the drug so much as the use of the drug. That was the problem for Michael Jackson, uh, because, uh, you know, most people don't uh, require proper, proper, uh, to use a medication like that to go to sleep, and it's an anesthetic, uh, and used properly. It's a, a good medication, uh, but uh, in his case, it was not properly used, unlike the fentanyl. That's causing the deaths of many of the opioid users. Pam, you had a question.
2: Dr. Callender, could it be that we those medicines they don't make? The pharmaceutical company doesn't make enough of them because they don't make money on them and they they, they only want to make medicine that they can make a lot of money on? Is I don't that know the
1: anything? answer. I don't know the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't know the answer to that question. Pam, you had
7: a question? Yeah, um, I'm just curious, being somebody who is on the transplant list for kidneys, which of those medications, anesthetics, are kidney excreted versus liver excreted? Because I have to be very careful.
1: Which? What is your question, which one?
7: Which anesthetics, like I had to have an endoscopy. Or, or a colonoscopy. And I always have to inform the anesthesiologist that I'm an end-stage renal failure because I was asking which drugs are kidney excreted and which drugs are liver excreted.
1: Right, and I think that uh, it's these drug shortages uh, uh, involve a, a litany of areas. Uh, I think more importantly, they involve uh, antibiotics and uh, sometimes steroids, steroid drugs. Uh, so I don't see that there's a uh, difference between the those that are treated by the liver or the kidney. Uh, I think they're general drug shortages. But I, I think your point is well taken that uh, uh, that, that uh, there are a difference between anesthetics as well as other medications that are excreted by the liver and the kidneys.
4: Uh, Dr. Caller, follow up on that question. Uh, the last time uh, I went under, uh, they use uh, propofol. And so obviously that wasn't bad for my um, kidney and my liver transplant because um, that's the one that anesthesiologist chose. So, you know, I guess that was the best
1: one. It's a good one, yeah. As as I said, <laughs> when used properly, right. Uh, so that uh, I, I I wish I could give you a better answer, but I don't know why. Uh, I don't know that there's any reason for for the drug shortage, except that uh, I know that there is. <laughs> But I don't know if anybody has systematically analyzed to find out why the drug shortage exists. And because there's so many drugs that are,
6: are involved. Yeah, recently they said even um, asthma medications, there was a shortage. They said that there was a shortage of butyrol which I needed recently and uh, I was able to get it. And a couple of weeks ago, they kept advertising, get your medicines. And then they said, if you have a asthma prescription and inhaler that has expired, continue to use it. It's still good. And that's how short it was a couple of weeks ago. And then I didn't hear anything else. So it's up and down, I don't
1: know. Yeah, but it's serious enough so that uh, it it is, Reach the public domain. It has been in the hospital domain for quite a while.
5: Uh, I have a question on the ADHD for children. What year are? When did they start using drugs for children that had um, ADHD? probably
1: probably about uh, twenty years ago. Okay. Started. It's just okay. become more popular recently
5: so up until then and children have more allergies now um and and i think there's more asthma now so as our population increases we are having more problems with things that we did not have like i don't know what they did with children that had um that were hyperactive um but they surely didn't give them drugs Right. So maybe they're producing these drugs, and now they got to produce them in mass because even school teachers and counselors who are not certified are prescribing this and telling parents, "This is you need to put your children on drugs without any yeah. medical authority." But,
1: but you can't. They cannot prescribe drugs without a, without a license. I don't understand yeah. what you're saying.
5: I don't but, know because um,
1: ADHD has to be prescribed by by a healthcare provider.
5: Right. And um I I've experienced that. And so that means that you go to your doctor and you say that my child has been diagnosed or the prescript the doctor has to diagnose in order to put your child on those drugs, right?
1: That's correct.
5: Okay. And the
1: doctor has to write the prescription. Or the you know the PA or but it has to be a healthcare provider write a prescription for ADHD. Uh, But they're using it far more than ever before uh, because they're making the diagnosis more often. And uh, hyperactive kids in the past were uh, treated without medication Mm -hmm. uh, up until recently, where now if you have ADHD, the expectation is that you're going to get treatment for it. I'm sorry, you always got my, some kind of treatment for it, but you didn't get necessarily medication. Now, like, if you think the diagnosis, they're more likely to put you on medication.
5: Like Dr. Robinson said, um, even in the psychology department, it's easier to give the drugs than it takes too long to try to give therapy uh, to the patient in order to help, but just to give a drug to either mask it or make it subside.
1: Unfortunate fact, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go to the next one. This is an article about tranquilizers uh, uh, which have fentanyl mixed with them. And of course, Fentanyl has been the deadliest killer we've had. Uh, and I think as somebody mentioned uh, uh, the age limit for fentanyl deaths is getting lower and lower all the time. <laughs> and uh up and about. Come on. This man. is frightening. Uh, that uh, mm-hmm. these this well, drug fentanyl I've and its mix, mixture mixtures uh are so lethal. Uh, And it's uh, also uh, fearful that uh, Narcan isn't as effective against the fentanyl mixtures as it is against uh, with the other opioids. So it's, uh, it's, it's, what is fearful is that uh, as they mix, Fentanyl with other products, the the risk of death becomes greater and greater. Urine was bad enough, but fentanyl is much worse. And how do you protect your children from uh, getting products that have fentanyl in them? And that, of course, is the major obstacle children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Well, let's go to the next one. We, we, we haven't come with a way to deal with that. This is an interesting uh, problem of new. Uh, this is a fertility clinic that's under fire for transferring an embryo with a cancer gene. The question is, how do you know that uh, the embryo has a positive gene if nobody tells you? And so this suggests that the fertility clinics need to be overseen perhaps more closely. Uh, uh, And also, it means that you have to look for uh, cancer genes. Uh, because if, if you don't, you wouldn't know that you've transferred an embryo that has a cancer gene. And so somebody's right now suing uh, this fertility clinic because uh, uh, the issue is giving uh, the wrong embryo, but another issue is giving uh, an embryo that has. Uh, a deadly
4: cancer gene. Dr. Callender, uh, what field of medicine is that called when you can um, do some um, gene editing and find out that uh, an embryo uh, might predispose a a baby to cancer? Well, what
1: what actually happens is that you have the sperm donor. uh, And uh, what happened in this case, the sperm donor after donation turned out to have a cancer of the stomach and therefore had the gene. So I guess it wasn't known at the time of donation. Gotcha. Uh, And uh, uh, we do now have the capacity to uh, test the genes, uh, but uh, apparently that fertility clinic didn't know it at the time. Uh, and, and, you know, we talked about uh, uh, these new foods that they're producing and a lot of things, we don't know the downstream effects until we do the wrong thing and then we learn from it. And this is an example of... Uh, where the fertility clinics are using these embryos. But one of the things they hadn't considered as, as much is the uh, fact that they may be giving uh, genes that they weren't aware of at the time the sperm donor gave the donor or all the, all the ova or the egg, the sperm or the egg, and the embryo would have the gene from the sperm and the ova uh, that may have a gene. So uh, this means that uh, the embryology studies have to include genetic studies. But uh, sometimes the donors aren't even aware that they have these genes until much later. So this then uh, makes you wonder about the wisdom of doing this, but if you're in a situation where uh, you can't do any better, then sometimes they're willing to take that risk.
4: And uh, Dr. Callender, also, um, I have a question about when they're uh, freezing eggs and sperm, do they uh, check them first? I'm sure they should.
1: Yeah, but you can't check them for every gene there is. Oh, okay. So that's why, uh, uh, for example, if you have somebody who's healthy at the time, they donate, but then years later develop, uh, 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 identify a cancer gene that you didn't know they had. Uh, that, That makes it risky.
3: Dr. Kaler, this this sounds like uh, the boys in Brazil. It sounds like, uh, yeah, Gataga, where they're you know genetic testing, uh, you know to to determine you know the 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 best survivors, you know, uh, the the most intelligent, the best looking, <laughs> you know, through through gen- through genetics. Uh, it's a, it's a little
1: scary to me. Yeah, yeah, I think we uh, we have a, a a lot of work to do to, to to really understand the significance, short and long term, of what we're doing with these fertility treatments, and so uh, this is one example of how things can go wrong. Is, is there any
3: government control right now over it?
1: Not that I know of, and I think that's what's gonna happen as a consequence of this case. Okay, let's go to the next one. Well, we have all kinds of infections and now we have a fungus among us that uh-huh. is uh, spreading. Uh, and it's a uh, it's a drug resistant fungus, Indida auris, is uh a fungal infection that is has been responsible for uh four deaths which is a relatively small number but it beats zero and it's a relatively new fungus so uh it is of concern but i guess the greatest concern is that uh uh medication to successfully treat it is not uh, well known because it's often uh, fungal fungici- fungicidal resistant. And since it is now colonized on the skin, it, it can, especially to the immunosuppressed person. Uh, become capable of, of, it, of making them sick. One third of people who become sick with the fungus die, which is frightening. Oh. It's not much we can do about it, but... but it's something that your doctor needs to be aware of. Well, it seems a small number, one is already too many. I guess the bottom line is that uh, keeping things clean becomes even more important. Especially when you have Invasive procedures, catheterizations, intravenous uh, medications, and so forth. so MRSA was a big problem remains to be so. And now we have a fungus that fits in the same category. So cleanliness next to godliness is still something that uh, pervades, pervades us all. This is an article on the same fungus. That's something that your doctor needs to be aware of. You know, so you, you go
3: grocery shopping and you pick up some fruit or some vegetables off the shelf you know, that may have been handled by somebody else. Uh, can can you kill it by
1: washing? <laughs> I mean, you know, gracious. Well, that's, that's the only thing you can do anyway. Uh, uh, that's the only thing you can do uh, uh, because most people are not going to be susceptible to it, but the immunosuppressed person could be. So the bottom line is, yeah, the best you can do is to clean it off anyway.
4: They're gonna, they're gonna start banning. Immuno- What's that? They're gonna start banning, uh, people who are immunosuppressed from getting jobs.
1: Uh, I don't, I haven't seen anything like that yet. Are you su- suggesting that that should happen?
4: I'm suggesting that after seeing this article, you can't work by the fruits and investment.
1: Why not? You. You mean if you're immunosuppressed, you, you have to wear appropriate uh, uh, protection. Uh, but even then, I don't think anybody would keep them having a job, but you would let them know that uh, if you're in suppressed, the risk of, of uh, infection is greater, which is correct. And so the importance of hand-washing and keeping things clean becomes even more important. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That's it. Okay, any uh, other topics that you think we should discuss? I think the... uh, The topic that uh, is going to become the source of discussion for the next month or so is going to be the uh, United Network of Organ Sharing and the uh, the Sharing of Livers, and uh, that is managed by the Secretary of Health, and uh, I think over the next month or so, we're going to see complete overhauling of that. Of UNOS and a competitive bidding for uh, the organ transplant procurement transplant network, the OBTN, uh, which was created uh, to systemically uh, have a system put in put in place a system that uh, uh, actually uh, does the ideal job for this. Uh, Elizabeth, you had a comment? comment, Uh, Yes.
6: Uh, Again, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Dr. Callender. Uh, I like to revisit uh, when we were talking about medication for kids. Uh, I have a child that's over 50 years old. And during that time, um, she was a daydreamer. And, um, And we moved around a lot. Every two years, we were in a new city. And so um, one doctor suggested some medication and my mother was always a component of preventive. And so uh, went got to another city, I wouldn't give her the medication. I got to another city and met a wonderful doctor that worked with me. And the first thing, and that was before I got into, um, that was the, before I got totally into becoming a wellness coach. He says, let's review her diet. And so I, you know, I lived at the library for several days, reviewing a lot of stuff. And the first thing I eliminated was no Kool-Aid in my house because of the red dye that affected kids learning. And from then on, I started investigating a lot of things and researching a lot of things. And that was the key for my child. Um, Very,
1: very interesting. We had
5: had also um, last week or the week before, you know, care for us that we over medicate us as we get to become seniors. And um, unless the doctor actually analyzes it. um, And I know several of us have said that with our elderly parents and now they were becoming elderly. Sometimes some doctors are prescribing too many drugs. Too much for our systems, and we also have to be aware that we are sometimes we become overly medicated.
4: Doctor Kelland, I have a, an article. Maybe we've talked about it, about it before, but it, it was interesting to me. Uh, I would like to share that. Go ahead. Can you see it? Yes.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Sleep affects your immunity after vaccination?
1: It's interesting that uh, there's an article also that talks about sleeping less than six hours before you get the shot uh, limits your ability to fight off the uh to to let the vaccine be effective. So that good sleep uh, is good for everything. And they talk about six hours of sleep, although uh, the the desired time is seven to nine hours. But uh, uh, if you have less than six hours of sleep, they point out that uh, uh, this had a, a negative impact upon your ability. For the vaccine to be effective. Of course, nobody would ask, uh, uh, would limit your ability to get the vaccine because you didn't get a good night's sleep. But uh, this is some data that's uh, developed after all of this was done. But of course, I think the the fact is that uh, uh, we know that our our brain uh, thrives while we sleep and repairs itself while we sleep. And when we don't get enough sleep, this affects our whole body, but especially the brain. There are many studies on sleep uh, that talk about the different components of sleep. Uh, And uh, there's little question that it also uh, heightens the immune system as well. And it's also important to appreciate that this affects whatever vaccine you have, whether it's uh, the flu vaccine or the hepatitis vaccine or the or the covid vaccine or whatever so but no matter how we talk about the importance of sleep uh, the there's still some people who just thrive with 5 hours of sleep some people I do poorly with five hours of sleep, but some people thrive with five hours of sleep. But medically speaking, uh, seven to nine hours is the goal. Like like med, med school students. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I think med school students never sleep more than four to five hours a night, but that doesn't mean they're doing the right thing. Uh, it, it's amazing that... Uh, uh, that we survive some of those unhealthy practices that we develop while in medical school.
4: You know, this surprised me here, Dr. Calendar, where it says, "I, you know, I used to think that REM sleep was good for you, and now it's saying it's bad." <clears throat> <clears throat>
1: Yeah, that's what it's saying. But it says that uh, missing REM sleep uh, is a problem.
4: Yeah.
0: So the flip side of that is the better you, the more you dream, generally, the more you recall your dreams. So if you remember your dreams, you're in a good health situation. If you never remember your dreams, you're not getting REM sleep. And the more
1: REM sleep you have, the
0: better better off you are. Uh, John B. Cannon had a question for me about are pears good? Uh, the fruit, pears, yeah, they're great. They, got a, they have, they're good for digestion. They contain copper that helps your immune system, nerve function. Potassium that helps heart function and muscle contractions. Uh, <laughs> folate that's necessary for cellular function. Vitamin C, vitamin K that's necessary for blood clotting and bone growth. Promotes uh, bone health um they have low glycemic index so they don't increase your blood sugar improves your heart health benefits your skin makes your skin smoother so pears are all good just never eat them out of the can because then they're loaded with sugar Mm. any other comments or
1: questions uh dr
3: calendar i have a um i wanted to share the article uh the motep newsletter okay
1: yeah in in this article we uh this newsletter we talk about a number of things uh, including our uh, blood donation experience that uh, john had you want to show that off okay I, i would Oh, so, look at John. Huh? Let's see the rest of it, John, as he celebrates his hundred donation. Can you imagine a hundred donations? That's kind mm-hmm. of uh, remarkable. Mm. I'm mm-hmm. up to a hundred and five now. Wow, it's
3: amazing. Mm-hmm.
1: Donor a Hall of Fame? How about that? Mm-hmm. That's an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, congratulations, uh, uh, John.
2: Thank you and- for your donations.
1: Yes. You don't know. We don't know how many lives you've saved. Sure. Right. I'm, I'm glad I have all positive blood. Yeah, that's a great. You have no idea how often that becomes uh, important when you have people who have trauma and have accidents and uh, they would die if they didn't get blood transfusion. And, And we sometimes don't appreciate the enormity of blood donors, so. We have an opportunity to have a hero in our midst. But well, we have a couple of heroes. We have a number of heroes. We got the genius of Daryl Olmstead. We got uh, uh, John Buchanan. We got uh, uh, the great uh, John Tatum, who's heading to his 30th year after a liver transplant. And the great Carol Tatum, who allowed it to happen. So a lot, of, a lot of heroes. in uh, I, control. I mean, uh, Carol is an angel of mercy. Uh, she's, mm-hmm. she's helping people everywhere. Uh, she, she's uh, made this group possible. Uh, and so uh, uh, close your mouth and your eyes and take it and say thank you, Carol. <laughs> 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 we recognize uh, uh, that you're a great person. And an angel of mercy that God has sent to us. And we thank him for you.
4: And the great Clive Callender who's performed several hundred kidney transplants, and also uh, weighed in on a, a whole lot of liver transplant and other. Yeah, or- we've,
1: we've all been blessed, haven't we? Yes, we yeah. have. <laughs> Okay, uh, and uh, we have some other. Uh... Yeah! <laughs>